0: Medical Education Matters.
1: Hello and welcome to the P-Metal Podcast. I'm Fabrice Jodren, joined by my co-host, Jim Woodruff. Hi, Jim. Hey, Fabrice. What are we going to do today? As you know, we're going to continue the conversation we had. We started during our last podcast, where we talk briefly about the metaphysics of medicine. And, uh, but we're gonna take a deeper dive and and try to show why it's important to talk about metaphysics in the context context of medicine and medical education. But before I I do so, uh, before we start our conversation, I want to remind our audience that we welcome comments, questions, feedback, suggestions about uh, the podcast. So we encourage you to uh, contact us via email at pmetalmeded at gmail.com, pmetalmeded p-m-e-t-a-l-m-e-d-e-d at gmail.com. So Jim, uh, usually when we talk about metaphysics, it's really a conversation that uh, philosophers have, theologians have. Um, why is it important to have this discussion in the context of medicine? And how would you define metaphysics so it's understandable to medical students and clinicians?
0: Well, Fabrice, I think uh, I'm glad that we're getting down to the nitty gritty um, sort of common understanding of metaphysics so that our audience, especially the physicians out there, can can wrap their mind around it. The way I think about metaphysics is that they are um, concerns around the fundamental assumptions that we make that underlie our reasoning.
1: Thank you. So, so why do you think uh, we haven't discussed this issue? Based on your own experience, you realize as a physician that this was an important topic, but why suddenly you, you, you want to talk about metaphysics in the context of medicine. How relevant is it to medical education, to the training of uh, um, future and, phys, uh, future phys, um, future and um, current physicians, uh, but also in how we conceptualize uh, medicine from a philosophical standpoint?
0: Right. I think we don't really talk much about fundamental assumptions because they tend to be socially constructed and oftentimes very subjective. And, you know, as um, excellent evidence-based physicians, um, we want to use objective data to to define um, and sort of point our decisions in the right direction. And so in, in the modern era, I think if this is not just true for physicians, but for society in general, we like to think to We like to stick to sort of objective data for decision making but it turns out that these more subjective beliefs and assumptions are really a foundation for all the reasoning that uh, we apply to evidence Uh, let me let me just sort of mention it this way if if um you have a child and uh, they start playing the why game with you and they start asking you why and you give an answer and they ask a question of why for that answer and you Go down this garden path. Eventually, you're going to, even as a physician, uh, talking with a patient, arrive at a point where um, the answers that you're giving are no longer evidence based. They're socially constructed, and they're usually around two topics. One is what's the purpose of that decision you're making, and the other is some assumption about the structure of the system that tells you uh, why that decision is a reasonable thing um, to make. Um, so. Um, we don't go there. We just don't go there. We stick at the more superficial levels that are focused on um, evidence.
1: So, but let's go back to this uh, tension between objectivity and subjectivity. Uh, because on the one hand, if I understand you're right, on the one hand, you're saying the practice of medicine is based on scientific knowledge. And then when we make the transition and we apply it, it, it becomes a little bit more Subjective, is it what you're saying? Or uh but but what, what's what's happening in that translation? How can we uh still keep a strong empirical uh grounding uh, for medicine, but at the same time uh realize that when we apply that knowledge to particular patients, there is a very subjective uh element. And and so can you explain that translation uh and in potentially with philosophical terms. So we we ground this conversation within a, a strong framework.
0: Well, when <clears throat> evidence-based medicine was first established, the founders of evidence-based medicine were very clear that this wasn't just using evidence by itself to make decisions, that um, in fact, it was using evidence um, applied with judgment to patient care that would uh, allow us to do the best for patients. And so it's a combination of both the objective and subjective subjectivity of the doctor that allows you to provide the best care for patients because the science can never really get you to the patient's home address, so to speak. It can get you to the zip code, but it can't get you to the home address because science is expressed in averages. Um, well, how do, how do you think about this, uh, Fabrice, from the philosophic perspective?
1: Well, I mean, for, for me, it's, it's yes, I, the way I, I, um, I, I would phrase it is that medicine is scientifically grounded. It's not a science per se, it's scientific, but it's also, um, I would say, humanistic. And because you have the human component, then you have this subjectivity. And the role of the the physician is really to be the the translator of this scientific knowledge and apply it to a particular patient and so you you don't want to there's a tension here because you don't want to just say well it's just about what the patient wants because then it becomes too subjective subjective and say well i want x therefore you should do it um and 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 because it's my life my body etc as there's empirical data that potential uh, some procedures are not um good for the patient therefore you as a physician you have to 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 translate and say well well but there's strong evidence that that particular procedure is uh, is not good so I think it's the physician has to 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 keep intention uh, objectivity and subjectivity and then the question may be, Uh, How do you make that translation? What would be the key virtue or the key, um, well, let's talk about virtue that will allow you to make that transition, that translation?
0: I I really like that description of um, the joint ownership of objectivity and subjectivity there. What does philosophy tell us about how to actually make that happen? It, It sounds like you're heading in that direction. Tell me Uh, What are some of the philosophic models that allow us to join subjectivity and objectivity together to to work within the real world?
1: Well, it seems to me that the concept that I would use is practical wisdom, because practical wisdom is about uh, the art of deliberation, is deliberating about some facts. And then you want to apply knowledge gained by deliberation and apply it to uh, toward a particular good end. And so you need to have that wisdom that will allow you to translate, to make the, the, the right decision, to understand that ultimately clinical work is about the good of the, phys- uh, the, the the patient. So you need to have in some ways a sense of what the good is in medicine. And so practical wisdom and other virtues, too, but I would say in in, in the, the discussion we have about objectivity and subjectivity seems to be uh, key. Uh, I'm wondering if it resonates with you as a clinician. Uh, does that make sense to, to use, let's say, practical wisdom as a philosophical concept uh, that will allow to do this translation?
0: It makes a lot of sense to me as a um, former program director and general medicine physician. I, I feel like that is such a large part of what we do. But I have to say that when we sit down as medical educators and practitioners, we're a little bit uncomfortable with that subjectivity. We don't know exactly how to describe it. We don't know how to, to actually pursue um, the development of medical education and training programs that that foster it and develop it because it's just not as tangible to us. It doesn't really have um, sort of the kinds of uh, consistent measurements that we tend to associate with objective data. Um, I I guess I'm interested in how the metaphysical topic actually fits into this though. So uh, from your perspective, Febreze, how do we tie this back to the notion of fundamental assumptions?
1: So, it's very interesting what you're saying. Um, it seems to me that the question is really it's really about agency, right? Because agency is about the subject. And then there is empirical knowledge outside the subject, something that you can observe. But it seems to me that if we tie this question of agency to metaphysics in terms of, you know what does it mean to to have the capacity to act and engage in the world or with the world. And then we need to understand what kind of being is an agent. We are animals, but we are human animals. And so what does it mean? And so, and then there is also a set of beliefs and values that are shaping the reality of an an individual. All these elements in some ways shape the agency of the, um, the, the, the clinician. And therefore we need to provide the space for, for instance, medical students as we train them to think about who they are and to think about uh, what are their values, uh, their, uh, their beliefs, um, and what is uh, shaping them socially in terms of their education and how is this translated in developing a professional identity. And then you, you, you make also some assumptions about you know, your capacity to uh, engage with new knowledge and how you applied it to your particular context. So all of that, so this is why the, the discussion about metaphysics is very important. It's not just about you know uh, how we understand the nature of medical reality, but it's also about how this is tied to shaping one's identity as a medical student and future um, a physician. Do you think using that model in medical education is possible? Introducing these philosophical concepts from the get-go, I mean, from the beginning in, in medical education. So they we provide medical students with a framework that will allow them to, to develop a, a, a vision for themselves as professionals,
0: I think it's it's very valuable. You know, one of the challenges that we're facing in medical education right now is a challenge about the meaning of people's work and uh, the meaning of their work in their professional identity. And I think there's a, a a bit of a loss on how best to provide students assistance in developing that identity and that meaning. Uh, Because again, we're so fixated on uh, on standardized curricula and measurement that's objective. Um, And uh, and so these ideas ask us to work with students to ask more fundamental questions about what it means to be a doctor um, and what it means to be Dr. So-and-so in doctor-patient relationships, Uh, but also uh, to question assumptions about the, the the nature of the reality that they're working within in ways that allow them to better use the tools to accomplish that purpose and to accomplish it successfully because they understand the lay of the land, um, as opposed to simply being compliant with guidelines in a relatively thoughtless manner, which, by the way, destroys um, agency. Um, it, it actually causes them to simply feel that they're just transmitting a message, <clears throat> um, that they're just following rules, as opposed to um, patient care, which is an expression of their judgment and their value systems, which is a very uplifting um, and positive experience. Um, in, in your work as a philosopher, uh, Fabrice, um, have you worked with any other uh, occupations or fields where these types of issues come up?
1: I would say no, because I most of my career has been focusing on medicine, and I'm really interested in in the philosophy of medicine. But I think you could uh, talk to to other professions, and you're gonna say you're gonna see the same kind of reflections. Uh, if you're an engineer, if you're developing, you know, different devices that potentially could, um, you know, destroy the planet, for instance, you're going to have to think about what kind of agent am I? I have some knowledge that I can apply. And what are my beliefs, uh, my values in developing particular tools? So I think this is not about just medicine per se. Uh, I think it's, it's about the human condition. Uh, but there is there's a lot at stake in medicine because the the practice of medicine is really about you know the care of patients. It's really dealing with life and death potentially. So and, and then you you can I mean there are so many I, I would say yeah the human condition. Everything you do will be determined by a set of values determined by who you are the kind of uh, being you are. Um, but. So now that we we have discussed the ideal, right, we want to do, um, we want to transform medical education because we think that agency is important, Um, but based on your observation, what is the prevalent metaphysical framework in medicine? Can you explain what you observed um, and why we need to a certain extent challenge this metaphysical framework?
0: Well, I think the, the, the fundamental assumptions that uh, doctors rely upon, um, those that they've sort of built into their day-to-day practice are those that they've borrowed largely from the natural sciences, um, which is um, a, a notion of a clockwork universe, um, which means that um, it's a universe that uh, has certain principles and certain components that function the same way every time consistently. And the idea is that um, if you can study that system and see patterns of behavior, then you can actually extrapolate those patterns of behavior from one patient to another. So if you look at like the entire literature of, of medicine and biomedicine and medical education, you'll see that it all works off that same assumption that if you can study something in one set of patients or one set of students, um, you can derive findings that are easily applicable to any student and any patient. Um, and so this notion of a of a consistently operating biological clockwork system um, it is something that I think is embedded in what we do as physicians, how do you think about this, um, Fabrice? What, how do you imagine medicine has framed, whether knowingly or unknowingly, its metaphysics?
1: Yeah, I agree with what, what you said. The way I would put it uh, in philosophical terms, it, it seems to me that um, the framework that is at play right now is a framework that I would call technoscience. Meaning, how scientific knowledge applies technology to provide the means to understand the nature, constitution, structure of reality. So, technoscience has become the quote unquote only source of knowledge. So, everything outside scientific knowledge applied through technology is not considered as valid. But as we know, the problem is, when we talk about uh, values, virtues, uh, when we try to provide a normative framework for medicine, science and technology cannot provide any answer. And and so the problem is in medical education, and here it goes back to this idea of the triad of medicine borrowing on the work of uh, Pellegrino, Uh, where he talks about that medicine is defined by, you know, scientific knowledge, by art, technē, meaning technical skills, and then virtue. Um, And so you we need to keep these three dimensions. This is the metaphysical framework that we should promote, because we want to train the whole human being, scientific knowledge, skills, but also in terms of behavior right, and, 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 and provide a, a kind of a vision of the, what good medicine is. And you need the three dimensions um, to, to, to provide, a, a I would say, a kind of a uh, attractive vision for medicine. And, and so if you emphasize too much on technical skills, then the physician is just a technician. Uh, if it's just about knowledge, well, it's just uh, a scientist. And if it's just about the virtues, well, then you could say, well, you become a quack because you don't have the scientific and technical knowledge to, to do it. Um, but how do you think we can move this, this ship and, and, and make the connection between technical, scientific knowledge and I would say the, the more humanistic? I know people don't like when we say, no, but medicine is humanistic. I agree, but why do we have a crisis right now in medical education and in medicine? And and how do we, in some ways, go back to these roots where medicine was also, um, you know, grounded on uh, medical education in the humanities?
0: Well, I, I think uh, one part of this is to go back to the metaphysics, as you're pointing out. It, it seems to me what you've just said over the last couple of minutes is that, you um, medicine and maybe other parts of society have sort of uh, acquired, at least unconsciously, but maybe consciously, a metaphysic that's incomplete. It, it doesn't really contain the purpose uh, component of uh, unnecessary metaphysic to, to function. It contains some assumptions about how the system operates, the nature of that reality, but there's there's no part of it that actually allows uh, physicians and trainees to think about what are the ultimate goals of the work that they're doing. And, and as a consequence, we have, um, you know, uh, pr- provider wellness problems. We have patients that really don't feel like we're taking care of them. We're sort of paying attention to the technology and evidence, but but not them. And so one part of that is is why we're here, which is to talk about creating a complete and more um Uh, functional metaphysic uh, for uh, biomedicine to function upon as a platform. But then I also think we need a larger view for what it is um, we think of as medicine, uh, a a view that actually accounts for rigor that isn't just pure scientific rigor. If medicine is not just science, um, then we can't really use a definition of rigor that is (laughs) restrictive, you know, to scientific rigor, like um, measurability and objectivity and reproducibility, that that's not going to be adequate in the complexity of the real world. So the question is, how do we build out this other area? um, When we're so used to having rules and measurement and objectivity as our notion of rigor, um, how do we think about practical wisdom in medicine? How do we teach it? Um, How do we know when a student or a practitioner is demonstrating you know, um, practical wisdom. How how do we know when to call a practitioner virtuous? Um, and is it fair to even ask for there to be some sort of standard measurement of that?
1: So, so let me, since you're a dean, you're the, the dean of students, when, do you have these conversations with other deans? And, and is this type of conversation welcome when you go higher in the hierarchy of a medical school, because I think you need to convince also the leadership that you need to create space in the curriculum, right? You can convince medical students, you can convince uh, faculty that it's important, but then there is a reality regarding medical school that um, a medical school, the structure and, and the politics can you uh, elaborate a little bit about what kind of discussions you have at the higher level?
0: Yeah, so th- this that's uh, a really good question. This this issue touches all the major um, hot topics in medical education right now, ranging from wellness to professional development to diversity, equity, inclusion, to how to assess um, learners, um, and also how to teach to teach learners. And, um, it's, it's a huge problem. And I think the, 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 the biggest problem is that we are focused on measurement, um, that is supposed to be standardized and objective as the only kind of measurement or evaluation of performance that is acceptable. And so we are stuck with this, um, series of problems that can't be addressed by uh, technoscience um, but we're unwilling to let go of those um, aspects of technical uh, of technoscience that we feel are part of rigor Um, so it goes back to this idea of changing our definition of rigor in a way that allows us to provide training um, that can account for the humanistic aspects um, uh, of, of performance, and not just the technical aspects. Um, that, that's the way, um, you know, I've been thinking about it. In, in your work there at the Medical College of Wisconsin, uh, Fabrice, um, how have you guys been thinking about it? And what kinds of problems have you been wrestling
1: with? We had uh, the opportunity to uh, revamp the, the curriculum. And so what we tried to do um, is... Uh, to infuse uh, the curriculum with this type of questions about uh, what does it mean to be an agent? What does it mean to be a professional? What is the role of virtues in medical education and in clinical practice, uh, practical wisdom? So there is a course, um, the Good Doctor course, uh, whose director is Dr. Pavlik, And she allowed us um, to really integrate this concept in the curriculum. And so I think there was not an issue in terms of convincing the leadership because we were in the process of redoing the the, the curriculum. Now, uh, among students so far, since this is our first uh, year, uh, the feedback has been positive. Now, of course you have some students Either they say, oh, it's totally relevant, or maybe as an undergrad, they've been exposed to this type of um, topics and issues. So for them, it's not a, a, an issue. But I would say the, the biggest challenge is to have other faculty on board and train them so they can develop a language, a vocabulary, and then it becomes part of the culture of MCW. Um, so, um I, I would say so far it has been a, a, a good experience. Uh it's kind of bold. It seems to me that um so far we have the the impetus, we have the willingness to to uh to integrate this concept, to change the metaphysical framework, so to speak, of the uh what we do at MCW. So it's it's a very interesting uh to, to observe and to be part of this this process. But I, I was wondering um do you think there is a generational gap? Because when you went through medical school, you didn't have all these questions, right? Or were you exposed to, to, to philosophers discussing these issues? What was your experience? And because I talked to, to um, older physicians, uh, retired physicians said, Well, we didn't have all these, these questions. For us, we were trained. And uh, But what is so special today in Medical school. Why do we have to talk about these uh, issues in medical education today?
0: Yeah, that's an interesting question, and and I suspect that there's more than one reason why that's the case. Um, I mean, I reflect back on when I was back to a time when I was a medical student, and evidence-based medicine was just emerging. It was still uh, relatively young, and at that time, there was still an attitude um, that there was something besides evidence that you needed in order to provide um, excellent patient care. Um, This notion of of clinical judgment was an important part of um, everybody's um, conscious experience in medical education. And we looked up to um, uh, veteran clinicians, uh, the most excellent of whom we called uh, master clinicians, and they weren't master clinicians because they had a grasp of all the evidence. At least that wasn't the entirety of it. They they were master clinicians because of their experience and judgment. And I'm thinking about how medicine feels now. And while I know people still use the term master um, clinician, I feel like it's changed. Um, it's actually somebody who can... Um, Uh, who has access, almost immediate access to the evidence within systems like the electronic medical record or the use of uh, consulting experts to provide um, what is called systems-based care to, to patients. But the recognition that judgment is a part of that mastery is just not around anymore. It's almost like the the human dimensions of this have been replaced by this rapidly expanding um, base of evidence that we work with as physicians, and all of the technology and pathways and infrastructure in the environment designed to support efficiency and accuracy. And so uh, I believe at least one part of this uh, reason why we're having such a hard time now is that Um, We have shifted away from that combined model, that acknowledgement that you must combine objectivity with subjectivity in order to provide excellent care to patients, to one that's much more heavily weighted in a conscious way um, towards uh, the technology and a systematic approach to, to each patient. And our patients are not feeling like they're being attended to. Our trainees are losing a sense of meaning and feeling like they don't have agency, Um, And and we've reached ceilings in quality improvement, um, patient, um, I'm sorry, medical error, uh, patient satisfaction, all of these different areas, in part because we've become too reliant on on sort of ordered systems in order to treat complex problems, um, problems that are embedded in a community, embedded in social determinants, embedded in people's life experiences, Um, And so that disconnect is just getting bigger and bigger. That's how I think about it. Um, How about with you, Fabrice? How do you think about it? Why is now a time to be working on this? I mean, you've been been around- Well, it seems
1: to me that it's really about um, how the humanities in general in uh, higher education have been marginalized, right? And uh, so it means that if you uh, aim at becoming a physician, you can be a straight biology major and then you need to take maybe one course in, in the humanities, or I don't know. And so you're not exposed to these um, uh, to to the disciplines within the humanities, and therefore we uh, we don't emphasize the necessity to develop uh, certain I would I wouldn't say soft skills, but rather um, essential skills, right? In terms of how we develop as a human being so when we train a a, a student it shouldn't be just about knowledge and technical skills as an undergrad but it should be also about how you develop as a person as you grow in terms of your character uh and uh how you you become a uh, i would say a good citizen of your community and and so there is that dimension but then also medicine uh, didn't allow the humanistic side to be part of the curriculum. It has been marginalized, marginalized, and marginalized. But even when you look at uh, bioethics, for instance, you know, as a source for professional um, development and, and talk about, you know, ethical dilemmas, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, it's it follows the same trend that you explain. It's very procedural. It's uh, oriented toward uh, a particular end but the agent is not part of the conversation. And I think what we need is to train individuals to, to deal with complexity, to, to deal with ambiguous situations where there is no right answer. And that complexity, how to deal with that complexity, how to deal with that ambiguity, um, well, then it requires uh, the, the training uh, uh, or the, the formation of particular intellectual virtues and moral virtues. Now, what, what is the, our ultimate goal? Um, and we, we can ask, why do we need to talk about this? But, but from your perspective, what if we embed a, the, the, the type of metaphysical framework in medical education, the type of metaphysical framework that we discuss, what do you think will be the outcome for medical students? what is our ultimate goal?
0: Yeah, I mean, what what I hope for uh, for students, what my goal would be with the interventions uh, that we're making here at the Princeton School of Medicine is to provide students with the assumptions that are gonna allow them uh, to provide the best possible care to patients and to experience um, the practice of their profession as something that's personally rewarding. And I just don't feel that that's really The case right now in the more traditional curriculum where it's really just about skills and measuring those those technical skills, Um, in some ways, as you pointed out, the the curriculum is designed around technicians, uh, but it's not really training professionals, and it's certainly not training professionals that are providing compassion, humanistic care um, to patients. As a former residency program director, what I would hope is the product from medical schools are... um, are trainees that actually um, appreciate the complexity of patient care and in fact enjoy the beauty of of that complexity. Um, They enjoy the challenge of that complexity and feel comfortable and confident enough to to, uh, walk into that complexity. Um, I want them to have a level of agency that that allows them to feel empowered. Um, Even in the most challenging situations, uh, that empowerment would give them I think the calmness and the wherewithal to analyze the situations in a team-based approach, and and hopefully make the best possible decisions for patients. But I, I feel like we're we're stressing out the students. <laughs> we're teaching them some notion of excellence that's um, a really technical and very simplistic one. And when they arrive in residency, um, they are um, overwhelmed. And you know, there's a portion of the 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 house staff that get over that and, and move forward, but way too many of the house staff uh, turn into faculty that are unhappy with their career um, and are not providing the best possible care to patients as well. How about you? Like, What, what do you imagine the product of of MCW's um, effort?
1: Well, if I, I could put in one sentence is, uh, I want medical students to flourish as persons and as professional or future professionals. And, and I think I wanna attach what you, you you said in terms of, I want them to see that medical, uh, that medicine is, uh, or the medical profession is a rewarding uh, profession. Uh, we want them to enjoy what they do. Um, and, and it goes back to this question of agency, right? If they have a, a good sense of who they are as a person, but also as a future professional, and as we develop their identity as future uh, healthcare professionals, then they're gonna have a sense of holistic approach of who they are, as opposed to, okay, I was a person, now I have to be a doc and I forget about who I am. And and so I think it's really about flourishing. How do we flourish? How do they flourish as medical students first? And then when they're gonna uh, hit the realities of clinical work, they can still flourish. It's going to be hard, as you said. Uh, residency is even harder, but at least we're going to equip them to to have a, a I would say a more compass, an emotional compass, and an intellectual compass that will allow them to um, to to navigate these troubled waters. Uh,
0: so yeah, Fabrice, you've used this word um, flourishing or flourish a couple times, and I know it's 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 a philosophically charged um, term. Could you talk a little bit about what you mean by flourish?
1: So for me, um, it's when you uh, it, it, and actually it, it it's it's a good way to um, to end this episode because our next episode we're going to take a deep dive uh, on this uh, issue on on flourishing. What does it mean to flourish? But briefly say uh, briefly explain. I would say flourish is when every aspect of your life. Are well integrated, and you know who you are in terms of your values, you know your limitations, and um, it should be contrasted to well being because well being is a um, temporary fix of a problem, flourishing is more about a trajectory where you understand where you're going based on your past and your current situation, and every aspect of your your being in terms of embodiment, in terms of cognition, in terms of uh, emotions. And if you're a religious person, the the spiritual dimension are well integrated and you know who you are. You have a particular uh, you have a vision of how you want to practice medicine. And it's what we call in our curriculum, a personal moral philosophy of clinical practice. And you have to develop that identity, that vision that will allow you to, to, to go forward in, in the medical uh, profession. So h- how would you define it from a a, um, a a physician's standpoint, flourishing? What does it mean for you to flourish in the medical profession?
0: Yeah, so when, when I think of flourishing, after having um, read some of the literature around flourishing, including Aristotle um, and his notion of flourishing, I think about that point in anybody's training where, um, or those incidents when you're in training where despite the adversity, you have found a way to um, overcome the challenges using your value system and the judgment that you've acquired up to that point in time. And all of it is for the benefit of either a patient or a patient and a family, or maybe for some trainees that you're responsible for. And um, as that happens, you have this, um, even if it's in the middle of a lot of chaos or ongoing adversity, you have this sense of um, accomplishment and agency um, that is very soothing um, and makes you feel like you have reached your potential at least at that particular point in time what your potential um, is, given the circumstances. Um, and so for me, flourishing, as you point out, is very different than just feeling good. This is not about the subjective subjective um, sensation of lack of pain and maybe even um, the presence of pleasure. It's about a very particular type of um, of of happiness that comes from overcoming adversity and growing as a trainee, growing as a professional and favorably impacting the community around you. And that's that's what um, I think um, I experienced as a young trainee. Um, and what I saw as a program director is that those people who got a taste of that feeling, who saw the power of their growth and development on the community, um, it was much easier for those people to move forward through the challenges of residency with a smile on their face and looking forward to coming to work each day compared to those people who never really understood how to get to that point or got to that point and didn't understand, you know, how um, it was attached to the effort they put in um, and the commitments they they were making to, to patients. So that, that was my experience.
1: Well, thank you, Jimmy. It's a good way to to end this podcast. And it seems to me what you're saying, it's really about contentment, to to realize one's limitation, but also a sense of uh, calling uh, and it's it's hard, but you're willing to pay the price you're willing to serve. But we're gonna uh, take a deep dive on this topic of flourishing. So thank you, Jim, for this conversation. Um, I look forward to our next conversation, as I said, on flourishing. So uh, I want to thank our audience to listen to the podcast, to this podcast. And I want to remind you all that uh, we are seeking uh, comments, um, uh, questions you might have about the podcast. So please, Contact us via email. Again, our email address is pmedalmeded at gmail.com. P-M-E-T-A-L-M-E-D-E-D at gmail.com. So thank you all and see you next time.